Good morning. The weirdness continues. It is such a strange thing to be in this building, the Wareham, and it is empty except for Laura controlling the camera back there. Uh, I miss your faces. I imagine we all miss each other. It is strange. It feels weird. It should feel strange and weird that here we are, the body of Christ, and we're unable to meet together. I hope, like me, you're longing for that day when we can get back together and spend some time worshiping the Lord in corporate worship uh, together. Now, today we're going to be back in the Gospel of Luke, picking up where we left, oh, about a month ago now. And that means we're going to be in Luke chapter 13. So on your couch or wherever you are sitting right now, hopefully your couch, uh, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 13, where we're going to be this morning. Now, next week, the the preaching is going to be focusing particularly on the death and the resurrection of Jesus as we join our brothers and sisters around the globe to celebrate uh, what is commonly referred to as Easter, what most Reformed folks refer to as Resurrection Day, um, which always reminds me back when I was in seminary and actually working uh, for a Reformed Baptist uh, brother uh, as an assistant pastor there. And I remember he insisted that all of us referred to it as Resurrection Day, Resurrection Day, Resurrection Day. And so Easter comes, and I walk in the door on Resurrection Day, and there is his wife who says, Happy Easter! And I had no idea how to respond besides to laugh, Um, whatever you might call it. Every Sunday we certainly do celebrate the resurrection. So anyway, it's been a while since we've been in Luke. I want to catch you up and just remind you that the the section right before this passage that we're looking at today, uh, we, we saw Jesus heal this woman who had been bound by Satan with this disabling spirit for 18 years of her life, this, this nasty disease. And, and after Jesus heals her, one of the, the rulers of the synagogue, the ruler of the synagogue, is incredibly angry at Jesus because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. That was his issue there. And, and Jesus responds to this man calling him, you know, actually him and all the other leaders, that you're, you're a bunch of hypocrites. And you're a bunch of hypocrites because you care more about your livestock, more about your animals than you do this woman who, who is under your care and shepherding care in that regard, this woman who is made in the image of God and desperately needed to be healed by the Lord that day. And so this passage ends with the the, the Jewish leaders then being put to shame, and at the same time, the crowd is rejoicing, as, as Luke puts it, Luke says, at all the glorious things that were done by Jesus, which brings us to our text today. Uh, I'm going to read it out loud, and, and I ask that you'd follow along, uh, beginning in Luke chapter 13, Verse 18, Um, he, as it begins here, is going to be referring to Jesus. Jesus. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nest in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we feel the weight of sin in the world that we dwell in. Uh, We feel it so strongly today. And we long for your kingdom to come. Lord, as we open your word and we hear from Jesus, our Lord, explaining what the kingdom of God is like, help us to understand the image of the mustard seed and the image of leaven being mixed into flour. Holy Spirit, enlighten our minds this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
And so the kingdom of God was a huge focus in Jesus' ministry. He explained often that his incarnation, his dwelling among men, meant that the kingdom of God was at hand, right? That's a a phrase we use very often. It it means that the kingdom of God is near, that it's within a hand's reach, like most of our phones and and, and things of that that sense. Uh, Probably your remote controls at this point. Uh, Anyway, his miracles showed that the kingdom was being inaugurated. And in this parable, Jesus is teaching us something about the kingdom of God. Now, this is the 15th time that we've seen Jesus use this phrase, the kingdom of God, just in the Gospel of Luke, as we've been making our way through this. And, and if you remember from the first time we saw it, and every additional time, uh, hopefully I've been telling you, the kingdom of God is the rule and the reign of God in the, in the life of men and women. Men and women who were born sinners, but have been redeemed by Christ. And so from a wide angle, as we're looking at this kingdom of God then, it's the growth of the universal church, the spread of the gospel as people come to believe in Jesus, that that, that he is their only hope for salvation and they put their faith in him. And so we begin to see it spread out. It's, It's what Jesus called his disciples to partake in when he said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. In Acts 1.8, right before the ascension of Christ, Jesus gives this picture of kingdom growing as a message that spreads from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. And even what's he say? He says to the ends of the earth. That's where this is going. And that's what the mustard seed and the mustard tree are all about here. Now, the mustard seed is not the smallest seed in existence, but it, 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 you know, I actually looked it up because I wanted to know that sort of thing. What is the smallest one? It's actually orchid seeds, but you, you might know there's not a lot of orchids growing in Israel. There's also, they, they don't grow to be anything uh, particularly big. And, and, and the most important aspect here was that the mustard seed was common knowledge to, to Christ's audience. The, the mustard seed was, was this proverbially small seed that grows into a large tree. And now you think, had Jesus been you know, ministering in Kansas, he, he might have pointed out that the acorn, as small as it is, grows into this mighty burr oak or whatever kind of oak tree you might be familiar with. That, had he lived in California, he probably would have pointed out the tiny sequoia seeds that grow into the huge sequoia trees just to show that difference. And, and, and that's the point, right? That, that the seed and the tree then become this beautiful illustration because of the contrast between the tiny seed and the full-grown mustard seed. And we don't have mustard seeds around here. We don't have mustard trees around here. We have mustard. Um, in Israel, these trees would grow to be over 10 feet tall and bushy enough that birds would make their nest in its branches. It was solid enough for something such as that. And so in other words, what he's telling them is that the kingdom of God might not seem like very much right now. But this kingdom is going to grow into something much larger, something much more substantial. And and the world we know is just full of illustrations as we've seen kingdoms grow, right? Uh, All throughout history of nations of men that, uh, a man that grow from tiny beginnings, even our own nation, right? We we as a nation began as this ragamuffin band of of what gun-toting dreamers who are declaring independence on 
uh, England, right? Evil England, or if you're Tim, good England, something like that. Uh, either way, though, we declare this independence, and, and it didn't look like much at the start of our, our, our nation's beginning, but today, you, you look out at the nations of the world, and, and our beloved United States is one of the world powers. And, and yet, our nation is nothing, nothing compared to the kingdom of God. Now, also, our, our nation lacks a, a certain future. It just does. That's the reality. And, it, and our nation is certainly not an eternal nation. We know that. And, you know, you, you look back in Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had this God-given dream that he dreamed and he couldn't understand it uh, as he slept one night. Eventually he gets it uh, translated, uh, interpreted. And anyway, so the king saw a tree and this tree was so large that, that the birds of the air would even nest, make their nest in this tree. And as he continued, right, as the, as the dream continued, eventually this tree gets chopped down in a single moment and it's gone. It's destroyed. You see, the tree represented the kingdom of Babylon and the point of, of, of Daniel's dream was, what was the kingdoms of man which take many years to grow will eventually be cut down and, and that collapse can happen very quickly. After all, it takes a great deal more time to grow a tree than it does to simply chop it down and turn it into firewood or whatever it might be. Now, if you're like me, you, you kind of look at the historic economic collapse that we are living in right now that will be in history books in the future, and, and you might begin to wonder, is, is our nation collapsing right now? Is, is this the axe being laid to the trunk of the tree? And, and I'll say, I don't think so. I certainly hope that's not the case. And yet, maybe. And, and for sure, someday we will, right? That's going to happen someday. And, and again, the, the point of the dream that, that God gives Nebuchadnezzar, um, it, it's really specific there, but the wider view of that dream is, is this, that, that kingdoms of men collapse. And yet there's good news. Because the kingdom of God, which Jesus is comparing to a tree, a mustard tree here, will never, ever, ever collapse. And so those who make their, their homes, those who make their nest, and every other kingdom of the world, every other kingdom of the history of the world, in fact, are going to find that their nest is not safe when the tree is eventually cut down, when the kingdom collapses. But those who have found a home in the kingdom of God have a home that is eternally secure in a kingdom that will last forever. Now, the other aspect uh, Jesus is getting at is the contrast between what the Jews expected the kingdom of God to be and, and what they're actually seeing when they look at Jesus, right? This is, this is not what we thought the kingdom of God was going to be. You see, the Jews wanted a full-grown tree that was mighty, that was going to rule over others with, with military might in, in terms of the kingdom. And what they see here is the inauguration, at this inauguration rather, is, is this feeble mustard seed. It's nothing. It's nothing. And, and he's telling them, God's not like you think he is. He's just not. His kingdom is not what you expect it's inaugurated, begun, yes. It's, it, you know, it, what, what you see, though, is, is the seed. And yet, in due time, the seed that you see is going to grow in, into a mighty tree. And so what may seem weak and small now is to become a glorious kingdom of our Lord. 
I mean, you, you, you think about the beginning of, of this, right? Uh, even the birth of Christ, about the story of Christ. Hardly anyone even cared when the baby boy was born, right? Or in their view, was born out of, out of wedlock or conceived out of wedlock. Eventually, when he's born in this podunk town to a, a young girl and her carpenter husband, there, there wasn't a lot of people who cared. There were some specific ones who did, but the general public couldn't care less. And, and not, it's not much to speak of, and yet Jesus grows up. He follows his, his father into the, the, the family business to become a carpenter as, as well. And he's relatively unknown, not relatively unknown, he's completely unknown in history until his 30 when he suddenly becomes famous. Because of these miracles he's doing, because of the amazing teaching he's doing like that no one's ever heard before. And, and he just becomes famous at that point. And, and later, Jesus is wrongly convicted and he's put to death as a criminal on a, uh, a Roman cross where they nailed criminals to death. And then we see Jesus was buried in the, de- in the ground. Like what? Like a tiny mustard seed. And Jesus did not remain dead. He did not remain in the ground, but triumphantly, this, you know, triumphantly, he sprouts up to life again. This Jesus is the seed from which the everlasting kingdom of God grows. And Jesus stated just this in, in John 12, 24, where he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You see, after Jesus' death and resurrection, the, the enemies of God then actually tried to cut down the tree in a lot of ways. But one in particular, one instance, is when Stephen, one of his disciples of Jesus, in Acts 7, he's teaching this is who Jesus is. And he's walking him through the Old Testament and, and bringing the story up. And the Jewish leaders are so angry that he's saying Jesus is the Messiah that they drag him outside the city and they stone him to death. Throw stones at him until he's dead. And surely they thought they were laying the axe to the tree. But, but really all they were doing was furthering the spread of the gospel as, as, the Jesus, as the Christians branched out into the areas nearby. And they find themselves in Samaria preaching the gospel to people who needed to hear it. And the tree of God's kingdom continues to grow today as, as sinners are redeemed by the grace of God in Christ. Right now... We live somewhere between the seed sprouting up and the full-grown seed or the full-grown tree in all of its glorious fullness. That's that's where we are, somewhere between that. In fact, church history is the story of the fulfillment of this parable of the mustard seed. Because truly, you know, even, even as we see the church declining in America, right? You read the media, you're seeing that, you're seeing the numbers, and you know, what we see globally is, is that the church continues to grow. In fact, our, our missionary, Zach and Ellie, you know, two kids from Kansas are right now living in a foreign nation in a strange culture. And why are they doing it? They're, they're doing it so that they can share the seed of the gospel and watch God grow his kingdom into this mighty kingdom. You see, the, the, the tree of the kingdom is, is currently growing in Africa and China and South America and Korea. And yes, I, I know we're, we're seeing the visible church decline in our nation. And yet God is here in our nation. God is here in Manhattan on the campus of K-State. And God is continuing to grow his kingdom here. You see, whether slow or fast, the point is the kingdom grows. And all this growth from one little seed 
And we have this, this certainty in the future that eventually the Lord's reign is going to take over all other kingdoms as Revelation eleven fifteen prophesies. Here it says that then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And so then Jesus uses another illustration. Maybe you've forgotten it by this point, And it's a, a very similar illustration. Um, but this parable is designed to draw our focus to a different area. It's to draw our, draw our focus to the growth of the kingdom in the hearts of God's people. A, a very personal aspect of it. And remember here, here Jesus says, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour <clears throat> until it was all leavened. It's a simple story about making bread. That's what he's talking about here. If you've, if you've made bread before, maybe you've made our, our, our rustic, uh, rustic crusty bread recipe that we use for the Lord's Supper. Uh, man, that sounds good. Uh, you can make that at home, by the way. It won't be the Lord's Supper. We just have to sadly miss the Lord's Supper until we can gather back together. Uh, but you can eat the bread. Uh, anyway, if you've made bread, you, you've used yeast to make the dough rise, at, right? You've seen that the way that works. However, leaven is not yeast. It's similar, but it's not the same thing. Leaven is this fermented dough, and whenever someone made bread, uh, they would make their bread, but they would leave a little bit of it. They would save it and not cook it and, and keep it a, a, in the dough form. And, and then they would take that dough form, and they'd mix it into their new flour and water and uh, the new bread dough, and, and that's where the rise would come from. It's... Um, it worked very similar to, to, to yeast in that way. It, was, it, it actually was, if any of you, older people might remember this, um, there was friendship bread. I remember people passing it around. You'd get this nasty bag of Ziploc bag full of dough and you're supposed to do something and then you save a little and you pass it along. It worked a lot like that. It might work exactly like that, in fact. Um, anyway, the leaven would slowly and invisibly spread to all the flour until that new dough just becomes this big swollen blob of dough that was then baked into loaves of bread. Now, Jesus tells us the specific amount of flour, three measures. That's, that's a massive amount of flour that he's talking about. It's, it's what was used for like festive gatherings of, of people. Um, it's what Abraham has Sarah actually make when uh, when, when, when they're, they're visited by the, the three people, and we won't get into who those three people are here. Uh, but anyway, it's this massive amount of flour. And in our terms that we understand, it's 144 cups of flour. Now, to make our communion bread, which I mentioned earlier, you need three cups of flour per loaf, meaning that this is enough flour that, that, that Jesus is referencing here to make 48 loaves of bread, roughly. Um, and, and here's where I really was encouraged by this, is that I noticed that the ESV study Bible says that's enough to feed 100 people, which, which means, despite what Laura keeps telling me, I really should be eating a half a loaf of bread all by myself, uh, Jesus says so. Well, he doesn't say to eat it, does he? Uh, but anyway, the ESV study Bible mentions that maybe I should. Anyway, the point of the parable is that when, when God gives grace to a sinner, like leaven, it, it often begins in a very small way. It's mixed in, right? Maybe, maybe we're suddenly interested when we hear someone talking about Jesus and we wouldn't have been before. Or maybe a book about Christ draws us in. Or, or maybe a, a friend, you know, points us to the hope of the gospel in some moment of fear or some moment of discouragement or something along those, those lines. And, and, and then it begins to grow, 
We, we, we have a desire for, for the means of grace. We have a desire for, uh, for prayer and to be in the scriptures. Or, you know, we, we may find that we develop a, a distaste for sinful habits that were normally part of our life. Or, you know, to, to those looking at our, our life from the outside, in fact, they, they, they might observe nothing happening, in fact. Uh, the same way when you just look at bread from a, in, in a quick th- or dough in just a quick moment, you might not notice anything. And yet your, your Christian brothers might be noticing little signs of, of spiritual growth in them. Do you, do you see what Jesus is talking about here? It, it, that the work of grace that God gives is like the leaven in the flour. The kingdom of God, the kingly rule of God spreads then to every area of our life. That's the way it works. Now, like leaven mixed in the flour, our whole way of living and believing is, is changed to be more in line with the scriptures, to be more Christ-like. Theologically, the, the word we're thinking of here is sanctification as we become more like our Savior. <clears throat> and maybe at times you, you find yourself, you know, frustrated because there's this, this slow battle against habitual sin that you see in your life. Or, or maybe you're frustrated by the slow progress you see in your love for Christ or that you're seeing in your, your obedience to his word and you begin to wonder if you're ever going to see the sort of progress that, that you dreamed of, that you imagined you, you would be when you, when you first came to, to new life in Christ. And it really is, it is so easy for us to be discouraged in those moments when we just don't see the, the growth we expect. I have some friends who are at times discouraged because they're, they're not as Christ-like as they believe they should be at this point or as they think other people think they should be, baby. But from the outside, looking in, I've, I've watched them. I've, I've watched the, the leaven of the kingdom of God. I've watched the rule of God spread into their life. I've seen their behaviors and their values, values become more Christ-like. I've been encouraged by it. And I, and I get that. I get that feeling if you know that feeling. Because I often feel that way. That the same discouragement. And, and I have to remember that I can't watch dough rising. It's like grass growing kind of, right? It's just too slow if, you know, but, but when, you, when, you, when you make that dough or someone in your family makes that dough and they put the towel over it and you walk away for a while and you're not looking at it constantly, you come back, you're usually amazed by, look at that, it's just swelling out of the container at this point. You're just shocked by that. That's, that's how the Holy Spirit works in, in the life of the believer, his Kingdom influence spreads to every part of our life slowly at times. And times you can't even see it happening, but it spreads and it spreads until it fills your entire life. This change is what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians 5.17 when he writes this, If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And that newness we're seeing, that's, that's where the kingdom is is growing in our hearts. Now, listen. God is at work growing his kingdom. God is at work in, in, in the hearts of his people. We, we experience this, this spread of, of the leaven when we realize that the Holy Spirit is our strength in the battle for obedience to our gracious Lord. We, we experience 
that, that spread when we learn to forgive others and we let go of resentments and bitterness towards those that, that may never ask for our forgiveness even. And when we find ourselves being generous with time and money and when we, when we love our God and, and when we grow in our love for God and when we love our neighbor and, and that's growing and rising, that's God's work in your life. And it might be little at a time, but it's the work God is doing. And so still, I, I know we, we long for Jesus to return because we know that, well, over time, we, we can see real and encouraging progress in our faith and our growth towards walking with Jesus. We also know that we're never going to stop sinning. We will never truly be holy like God is holy until Christ returns and we are glorified. But you see, the work of God in your heart will persevere. As the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1, 6 writes, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. And so then, a point of application for each of Jesus' statements, and then we'll be done. In, in the mustard tree parable, the kingdom of God begins quite unimpressive. In fact, John Calvin puts it this way. He says, The Lord opens his reign with a feeble and despicable commencement for the express purpose that his power may be more fully illustrated by its unexpected progress. This feeble beginning was all part of God's plan and, it, he is still, and it's still growing according to God's sovereign plan. Things are not out of God's control even today. And so don't be discouraged if you don't see the growth of the kingdom in the way that you expect to. From your perspective, you can't see everything. You just can't. And I, I, I know also this, that, that outside your window right now, our, our trees here are in winter mode. No, there's no leaves on them. They look dead. They look pathetic. And, and, and if this week you decided to go out there and you're going to pull out your lawn chair and prop your feet up on a tricycle someone left out there three weeks ago and just try to watch the tree grow and you're not seeing anything, you're going to find yourself incredibly discouraged because you can't watch that kind of growth. But it is growing. It absolutely is growing. And we're going to see some, some new growth in particular as, as spring is here. Uh, it is near. And, and when we will, uh, at that point, it's going to begin looking alive again. And we're going to see it. And so trust the Lord that he is still growing his church today that he is still growing his mighty kingdom of which you are an eternal citizen if your faith is in Christ. Second, Christians, pray for sanctification. You, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You, you are. And I know Presbyterians, we're sometimes afraid of that. What does that mean? It, it, you know, we're not going to get into that right now. But you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so seek in, in, in that power to honor and to obey the Lord in every aspect of your Lord. Or every aspect of your life, rather. But, but do not be discouraged. You know, don't, don't be discouraged when the progress is slow. For if we truly know Jesus, then his gospel work will spread until it fills every aspect of our lives. And so for now, we wait. We await the consummation of the kingdom when, when Jesus returns in conquering power. And then all will see that the, uh, the mighty and the awesome glory of the kingdom of God that began as one tiny little seed and becomes this mighty tree that lasts forever, this mighty kingdom that, that is eternal. And so we make our homes there. 
I miss you. Let's pray. Jehovah Jireh, provide for your people what we need today. Help us to see our place in your kingdom. May you be glorified by your people as we continue to live in a broken and sinful world, awaiting your return and restoration of all things, awaiting the fullness of your kingdom. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.